This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Hey, good morning. John uh, is out today. Glenn sitting in once again. Thanks for joining us here. The 5th of January already. Hang in there with those resolutions. You know, I mean, odds are you've got a couple more days before you fall off the wagon. Keep on going. And if you're plowing through snow in the north, uh, good luck to you as well today. We're going to plow through a a fabulous uh, show today. And uh, we're going to use our automated tractor perhaps as well to plow through. I tell you, even that, that technology will not make farming easy still, no matter what. Uh, neither is Exodus 90, but it's good for you. My goodness, we're going to talk about that great discipline coming up before the hour is through. Ashley Nerona, along with the latest news from Rome, will have a brand new story corner for you. And now maybe one of your resolutions for the new year. It's a good policy anyway for the household how to make a realistic budget and stick to it as a financial New Year's resolution. Uh, regular guests, uh, a, a personal finance expert as well, author Howard Dvorkin joins us this morning. Good morning and Happy New Year to you, Howard. Good morning and Happy New Year to you. Thank you for having me on today. Well, a lot of people make all kinds of resolutions for the new year, and uh, one of the more common ones is really to be a little better with our finances. How common is it to really uh, set out the new year to to do a little better financially, not only hopefully with income, but with spending, something we can control? I, I believe that it's probably a top five resolution, and a lot of people come to us uh, during this time of year at debt.com and, and try to understand and try to learn how to do a budget and, and certainly get their finances together. The first uh, three months of this year is awfully busy in our offices trying to help as many people as we can. Um, you know, good intentions are great, but you got to follow through. And that's sometimes the hard part, even, you know, whether it's, getting your finances on track, whether it's losing 10 pounds, whatever the case may be, you know, people have great, great, great thoughts on New Year's. And then when the uh, holiday cheer runs out, uh, they're stuck with, uh, gee, how do I do this? How do I lose weight? And how do I lose some of my debt? And they don't know how, and that's what we're here for. So let's uh, try to start the new year right. Howard, is sticking and setting a budget actually more simple than one might think, especially the the setting part of it? It's pretty easy, frankly. Um, It is not a difficult task. It just takes time, and not that much time. I mean, I always tell people, sit down at your kitchen table and write out your budget, write out what you're making, what you're spending, and come up with a plan. it's probably the first time you do it. It might be a little more tedious, uh, meaning you'll probably sit down and it'll take some time and you're probably looking at a you know, hour maybe at the most, um, but it could save you a lot of money, but you have to update that budget. So it is a little tedious when you have to update and see if you hit those budget numbers and why. I mean, there's six Easy steps, very simple, to 
set a budget, I mean, the first part is you have to have the frame of mind to, I'm going to put this together and I'm going to stick to this. And I always love the thought of a 50, 20, uh, a 50, 30, 20 uh, plan, meaning 50% of your, your uh, money goes towards your fixed expenses, your household expenses. 20 goes to variable expenses, such as going out, going to the movies, whatever the case may be. And then 20% needs to go towards savings or a retirement plan. And don't be afraid to pay yourself first. Also, I always like when people get annual raises, Live off what you're making. Take that annual raise and put it in the bank. Put it in your savings account. Up your 401k retirement uh, plan at work. Whatever the case may be, try to save more money over the course of the next couple of years. Now, the interesting part about this pandemic is the last two years, Americans have spent, have paid down a tremendous amount of their debt by the tune of almost 50% of all outstanding credit card debt has been paid off. Part of that has been helped by the stimulus packages that were given. People got free money. Also, not having to pay for child care. People got also child care credits at $300 a month uh, for each kid and $350 a month for uh, uh, younger children under six. Um, but also they weren't spending money on traveling and going out and entertaining, so they banked that money. However, we're starting to see people at Fifth.com, we're getting people in that have started to spend more money on the credit cards, even though they're not getting that free money anymore. So it is very, very uh, an interesting time and people need to be a little careful. But in the, in the end, people really need to go through and watch their dollars and, and prepare a household budget. I mean, it is a little tedious. You have to gather all your paperwork. You have to figure out your bank statements. In order to know where you are, you have to know where you've been. And you need to have everything in front of you, your bank statements, your credit card statements, your W-2 pay sub. Uh, 1099s, uh, you know, receipts for the last couple months just to make sure you captured everything, your mortgage and car loan statements, things like that. And th that way you could put it down. Now, on debt.com, the site debt.com, um, there is some handy worksheets that make this very, very simple. I suggest going to that site and, and pulling those uh, spreadsheets down it is a, a tool that we've developed over the last, uh, I guess, 30 years. So it's pretty good and pretty well tested. Um, you, first thing is you got to calculate your income. And what I mean by that is you got to figure out how much income you have coming in. Not the gross income, the net after taxes and after all the expenses. So basic or uh, all the deductions for health insurance and retirement and all that the net income so you know what you're doing create a list of monthly expenses go through and look at maybe 
the mortgage payments or the rent, the car payments, insurance, groceries, utilities, all the entertainment, and break it down into fixed and variable, as I said earlier. Um, mortgage payments or rent is a fixed payment. It's not changing. Car payments are fixed. Entertainment is obviously variable. You don't need to go out to the movies. You don't need to go out to entertainment events. You certainly don't need to go out to dinner every night. You may treat yourself once in a while, um, but those are variable. Childcare expenses, uh, you got to look at because those do add up. Uh, student loan payments is another fixed payment, um, although that is uh, deferred for a while. Uh, again, which I'm not quite sure it's the best thing for America, but the government decided to defer those payments for uh, quite a while. Um, so that'll be interesting. Determine, as I said, determine your fixed and variable expenses. Um, you know, the interesting part, variable expenses could be groceries because you don't always have to spend the same amount. So that varies gasoline. If you don't need to travel or use your car as much, that's great. Uh, entertainment, eating out, as I said, and gifts, unless they're buying it for you and I, then it's a fixed expense. Um, go through, look at your total monthly expenses, look at your total income, and then you're able to go through and focus on what are you putting away for your retirement expenses. Um, certainly, um, you know, going back to the 50, 30, 20 budget, uh, I would say pay yourself first, whether that's max out in your retirement account or if you want to buy a house at some point, put some money away, um, and then live off of what else you got. Also, if you're a dual-income family, I always recommend live off of one salary and bank the other, or at least try. Sometimes that's impossible, but I have had many couples come to me and you know one's a, one's a nurse one's an accountant and i am able to go through and we figure out how they can live off of one salary and then bank the rest and they have a beautiful retirement set up so it's it's great that we did that early on and it takes some time but it, it definitely worked out um basically once you have your expenses down and your income down Make, exp make adjustments, figure out what you could cut back on. Do you need to go out to lunch every day at work? Do you need to go out to dinner four times a week? Things like this. You could cut back on a lot of stuff is, if you know what you're looking at. Um, certainly uh, eating out is a big one. Um, you know, even gym memberships. Do you need the fancy gym that's charging you $100 a month or can you go through this? through a $10, a $10 a month uh, gym. You know, it doesn't really matter. You just got to keep an eye on the prize. The prize is your financial success and your financial future. Howard Dvorkin, our guest this morning, this portion of Morning Year here, Howard, chairman of Debt.com, talking about setting up a realistic budget and sticking to it as a good financial resolution for the new year. You talked about people being able to save a little more, even in the midst of turmoil, right, in the midst of this pandemic. Does that kind of speak to the fact we have been spending like an inordinately large amount of our discretionary income on stuff we can get by without? 
Absolutely. I mean, we spend a lot of money on stuff that we don't need. And we're told that we're need, it's needed because of all the ads we see on TV and on the Internet on, and, and, you know, elsewhere. But we really don't need uh, all that we spend. Do we really need a Cadillac when we could drive a Chevy and, and save the ten or $20,000? Um, no, the answer is we don't need to spend a tremendous amount of money. We need to live life and have a good life and, and provide for the, our families. And certainly uh, we need to put money away, but do you need to wake up every, every morning knowing that you have nothing in the bank? No, that puts on tremendous problem, you know, tremendous problems and tremendous pressure onto the family and, and frankly onto your relationships. And why put yourself into that when you can avoid it? All you need to do is, you know, write out a plan and stick to it and update it every month to see how you did. And if you are off, if you spent more than you made, well, maybe you need to cut back the following month and keep doing that over and over so it's repetitious. Uh, once a month, most people sit down and cut their bills. You should do, you know, cut your payments for your mortgage or and, and figure out what's going on. Maybe you should take that time also and take another 15, 20 minutes and, and see how your budget is doing. And I rec highly recommend that. And you're talking to a guy that uh, has counseled millions and millions of people over the course of the last 30 years. So I believe that I am a pretty good authority on this. Howard, over the last 20, 30 years, we've been dealing with... Uh inflation now we haven't seen in 20 30 years and more how do we kind of incorporate inflation into our budget inflation is a very very serious uh situation um i will tell you that for those uh, of your listeners that weren't around the last time we saw at least i saw inflation like this was in the late 70s and early 80s and it was not fun what was going on i mean interest rates were in the teens you couldn't buy a house the economy froze up everything was going through the roof the problem is is that these expenses are going so far up and the chances of them reverting back to what was the normal is probably unlikely I mean, just think about it. When we had a gas crisis a couple of years ago, all these vendors put on their bills fuel surplus. Well, that was great and understandable, kind of, and we paid it. But when the gas crisis subsided uh, a bunch of years ago, the fuel surplus surcharges still remained on the bills. They were still charging it. So the chances of our bills going up is doesn't make a lot of or our bills going down. I'm very leery of that thought. I think things are going to continue. And, and let's face it, when gas goes up 25 percent, this is a, a a fossil fuel environment economy that's built that has built our economy. Uh, everything is going up because of that. And, and, you know, when you cut our ability in this country to, to be self-sustained, 
on fossil uh, on fossil fuels, uh, you know, your bad stuff is going to happen, and that's exactly what is happening right now. Cost the gas went up twenty five percent. Assume everything else will rise as as accordingly. I mean, there's shortages on everything. Uh, my wife went to the to the store yesterday, and the shelves were empty. And these are major warehouse uh, uh, compass stores. You know, that's a sad, sad state of the economy. And I don't mean to bum people out, but certainly you have to budget inflation into it. And literally everything is costing more. And, you know, we're going to get by. And you can't rely on uh, the wages going up any more than they have. Uh, it's a tight economy now because something has to change. When, you know, when you're paying somebody $15 an hour and then you have to pay them to keep, keep, uh, keep competitive uh, $18 an hour, somebody has to pay that. Who is going to pay that? It's the consumer that's going to pay that. So everything is going up. Inflation will continue. Um, it's not a good situation. And likely it will put this country into a recession at some point. Howard Dworkin with Debt, uh, Debt.com is our guest this morning here. That's Debt.com as we talk about setting up a budget and sticking to it in the new year, making financial New Year's resolutions. Our audience, uh, great and generous, does a lot of charitable giving, Howard. And uh, how about taking that into account when we set up that budget, including how inflation might in fact uh, affect uh, and in fact uh, as well uh, some of our, our charitable, uh, charitable giving targets too? Listen, there's a certain part of you that just knows that you have to support charities and support others that don't have. Um, Whether you have to take it on the chin a little bit, you should. Um, That being said, charities will probably receive a little less because there's only so much uh, juice you could squeeze out of the grape. and, And, you know, I believe that people are going to continue, and certainly in the ties and things like that at churches, uh, they should continue. But going through, you're, you're likely to see charities hurting, and they're going to need, be, need to be more aggressive um, at, at collecting and more innovative. I run a charity uh, that's, that's uh, sponsored by Death.com. It's Parkland Cares. And we do psychological counseling. And frankly, it's been a little tough the last year for raising funds. Uh, I will tell you that we go through and people are starting to get choked on the higher expenses. I don't believe that it has taken its full effect yet, meaning that people are still flush with cash in certain circumstances they still have uh, have have the uh, government giving them some money um, that is subsiding, and we we are going to be get back to normalized uh, normalized economy where we have to work and work hard and work more to maybe make ends meet. 
Howard, like with, say, a weight loss goal for a new year, those small successes, right, a pound here and there uh, showing we're making progress, is that a great way to do it in terms of tracking our finances? If we make a little progress, we get through January without going over the budget, and we maybe even set aside a little extra by the time we're to February. That can help power us through a successful year. No question. I mean, set it up so it's automated. That's my best suggestion. There's lots of tools out there. Even at your bank, you can have automated savings. You can actually automate your mortgage payment. And think about this. If you pay mortgage, your mortgage payment once every two weeks rather than once a month, you take your mortgage payment, you cut it in half, once every two weeks you're paying an extra mortgage payment every single year and you know what? Doing that will cut seven years off of a 30-year mortgage. Wouldn't that be awesome? And has that really changed your life? Not really. You're not going to feel it. So go through, automate as much as you can. Little wins add up to a big prize at the end. Well, very good. Folks can uh, find out more, get some help at Debt.com, and uh, always enjoy the financial advice and a great way to get going. And uh, here's hoping that new year is uh, is successful financially for one and all. Thank you so much, Howard Vorkin, joining us this morning. Morning Air continues. Lots on the way this hour. We'll talk about uh, getting some discipline into your life, both your, your faith life and everything that your life touches with. The program Exodus 90, that's on the way before the hour is through. The latest from Rome is next with Ashley Nerona coming up straight ahead here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Via, via, vieni via di qui, niente più ti lega questi luoghi, neanche questi fiori azzurri, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, good luck my baby, it's wonderful. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us for morning here. Air here. It's, uh, it's Glenn and for John today. Our story corner is still to come this hour, but now we're off to Rome we go to see what the latest is at the Vatican and around that beautiful country. Our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, joins us now. Good morning, Ashley. Hey, good morning. Buongiorno to you, Glenn, and buon anno. Happy New Year. Hey, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you as well. How are things looking in the new year? Have have the celebrations died down just a little bit there in Roma? (laughs) Well, you know that the Italians really do know how to celebrate. And of course, between the new year and the epiphany as well, uh, there's lots happening here. So this is a very exciting, festive time. Lots to cover this week. Uh, Let's get right to it in terms of uh, how the Holy Father's general audience went today. Absolutely. So today the Holy Father continued his catechesis on St. Joseph and focused specifically on what it means to be the father of Jesus, what that role would have looked like. He also talked about what he called the venerable practice of adoption, this idea of St. Joseph as the foster father, the adopted father of Jesus. He said he talked about uh, how important that role was of St. Joseph in Jesus' life and And that as part of the role, the institution of fatherhood also includes the right to name your child just as Joseph named Jesus. And it was through that that Jesus was legally recognized by the state. So he said that in choosing Jesus' name, Joseph already knew that God had prepared a name for his son because, of course, the name means the Lord saves. And he 
the Pope went on to speak about what it means to become parents. And he talked about uh, fatherhood and motherhood, saying that people become parents when they take up their responsibility for their children. He said that fathers aren't born, but fathers are actually made. And a person doesn't become a father simply by bringing a child into the world, but by taking up the responsibility to care for that child. So that whenever a, a man accepts the responsibility for the life of another, in some way, he becomes a father to that person. And Pope Francis said that adoption is a risk worth taking. He said that St. Joseph shows adoption isn't based on a secondary type of bond with a child, but it exemplifies a high form of love. And he pointed out that so many children in the world today are waiting for someone to take care of them. And Pope Francis, Francis went on to say that how many uh, husbands wish to be fathers and how many wives wish to be mothers but are unable to for biological reasons. But through adoption, they have the opportunity to share that affection with those who wouldn't necessarily otherwise have the chance to receive it. So he encouraged today families uh, to choose the path of adoption. He said to take the risk of welcoming children. And then he went on, Glenn, to refer to the, the demographic winter that is facing different parts of the world. I just reported on this in Italy, that Italy, of course, has a negative birth rate, sadly. So he urged married couples to welcome children through natural birth or through adoption. And he said uh, that, of course, should be done instead of buying dogs and cats in place of children, he said. So he, he reminded us that, yes, having a child is always a risk. But it's, it's more risky not to have children. He said to negate fatherhood or motherhood, whether it be a real or spiritual fatherhood or motherhood. So today, finally, he finished asking for St. Joseph's protection over his orphans and that he may intercede especially for couples who wish to have a child. And then, Glenn, today he concluded with a special prayer to St. Joseph that uh, I might suggest that we all pray together now. Yes, let's. Let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph, you who loved Jesus with fatherly love, be close to the many children who have no family and who wish for a father and a mother. Support the couples who are unable to have children. Help them to discover through this suffering a greater plan. And make sure that no one lacks a home, a bond, or a person to take care of him or her. And heal the selfishness of those who close themselves off from life, that they may open their hearts to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Holy Father with some yes. great words on fatherhood, great words on adoption as well. And just to toss in my own adoptive story very quickly for those mm. who might not have caught it at different points through the years. But uh, as an adoptive kid from the early, early 60s, I love to hear those those stories. And actually, many of the hosts through the years on Relevant Radio have been adoptive kids or parents uh, on either side of that. And it's so uh, it makes me giggle a little bit that the adoptive parents always love to hear that it's been utterly normal. Uh, for those mm. that have been adoptive kids. But I learned it wasn't until we were expecting our first kid. I thought, well, you know, everything was sealed up pretty tight back in the early 60s. And I thought I'd ask and see if they knew of any hereditary stuff that might be passed along. And, and they didn't. But mm. I kind of heard the story, kind of the, the run-up I'd never really understood uh, to when my folks 
got me, 1962, mm-hmm. little five-month-old Glenn, and why I ended up being kind of such a, a big deal as, as the only kid said in, said in all humility because there had been so much loss in the, the previous few years mm-hmm. for my mom and dad. They'd had a, a miscarriage earlier in their marriage in the 50s, and then in 1958, my mom lost her mother, who had been so close to her, and in 1960, lost her father and another grandparent, and then uh, in 1960 as well, my mom and dad had a, a child who died after three days, and so by the time I came oh, no. along in 62, it helped me you know, to realize, wow, no wonder, you know, it was such a, <laughs> such a fuss sometimes. And, you know, in terms of, say, working with uh, pro-life groups through the years with uh, Christian and Catholic radio here, often I do the, the emceeing stuff, mm-hmm. but when I talk about the content, I'm often telling that story of what a gift adoption can be to a family that really seeks to, to have children and uh, what a gift that can really really be. So uh, that option isn't talked about so much as, as one of the choices uh, when we choose to have life. And so here's uh, hoping people consider that a little more, but uh, thanking the Holy Father for those, those great words as well, and Joseph being that great example as the foster father of our, our Lord as well. Yes. Well, it is the, the new year around the world. We're a few days in here. We're trying to hang in there with some of those resolutions, and we hope to make it past at least five days. Tell us more about that uh, great celebratory culture in Italy and how the new year was brought in. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, you might imagine that one of the traditions here in Italy, of course, revolves around food. So we call New Year's Eve Capodanno, the, the end of the year, and uh, What happens then at midnight that night is that Italians enjoy lenticchie, what we call in English lentils. And the reason is, is because lentils in their interesting shape, right? They're, they're kind of flat and round. Uh, They're thought to symbolize money. And so the idea is the more you eat, uh, the more abundantly you will receive cash over the year. That's the, the funny little uh, superstition. Well, that, that fits the perfectly. Yeah. We talked about yeah. budgeting uh, just with the previous you, guest. Exactly. So that's, that's great. Exactly. He hadn't brought that up as a way to, to gain more revenue. No. I don't know why. but uh, Yeah. yeah all, see, all you have to do is eat lentils. I think there's going to be a huge run on lentils in the U.S. now. So sure enough, uh, indeed, lentils with with pork sausage and uh, all these things are meant to bring lots of good cheer and fortune in the new year. Now, Italians also enjoy fireworks on the the beginning of the new year. And it's really interesting because unlike in the United States, here in many places, they do not have strict rules. So people go up to their terraces and let off fireworks. So it's a fascinating thing to see. If you've got a high perch on New Year's Eve, you can see fireworks going off. It feels like in every corner of the sky, and it really is a fun experience. But another interesting tradition that Italians do, Glenn, is that they actually take old pieces of furniture or old junk, we might say, and toss them out the window. Now, you can imagine that this can be a little bit hazardous for people down below. Uh, so in some places, As if the fireworks weren't down. enough, watch out for that old exactly. sofa coming at you. My exactly. goodness. Exactly. <laughs> Right. So I guess you kind of want to be indoors on, on New Year's Eve. That's the <laughs> that's the moral of the story for, for here. But sure enough, in some places it is still practiced. And then on New Year's Day, something that people in Rome get all excited about is that each year on the 1st of January, uh, for the, the, since, um, since 1945, they do a daredevil diver 
plunge into Rome's Tiber River. And it was this tradition that was started by a man who was born on the 1st of January. So back in 1945, he decided to do this. He, he simply put on a top hat and uh, when his bathing suit jumped right into the freezing cold Tiber River. Now, when he emerged from the water, he put up the okay symbol with his hand, did that hand gesture, and that led everybody to know that he was fine and it went well. So since that time, he just took the nickname Mr. Okay. And so he is no more, sadly, but uh, that same position has been adopted by another man, Maurizio Palmuli, who for the last 34 years has been doing the exact same thing. He's nicknamed Mr. Okay, and sure enough, on the 1st of January each year, he dives into the freezing cold Tiber River and reminds everybody that it's going to be okay. So some of the interesting things that have been happening in the new year here, Glenn. You get all the fun over there. Our Rome correspondent, <laughs> Ashley Nerona, with us this morning with the latest from the Holy Father's Weekly General Audience and the, the latest from Flying Furniture, Fireworks, and Men into Rivers as well. This That's morning right. as, uh, as morning air continues. Well, celebrations, too, on the spiritual side as well. Talk about how Epiphany is celebrated in Rome. Yes. Well, you know, Glenn, it's so beautiful because Epiphany, the Feast of the Epiphany is actually a national holiday celebrated across all of Italy, which means that public offices, schools, etc. are closed. And there are various ways that the, this special day is commemorated. So, for example, a, a large parade down the Via della Conciliazione, that long street that leads to St. Peter's Basilica. And the, the participants in the parade will be dressed in medieval gowns. Um, there will be bands, there will be flags, people on horseback. But of course, at the very end, uh, the parade is brought up by the three kings themselves, each carrying one of their gifts. Uh, the sixth is also a special day where people will host caroling parties. You know, here in, in Rome and in Italy, we celebrate the entire Christmas season, which goes all the way until the 2nd of February. So it's wonderful. You keep up your Christmas decorations, everything. And uh, so this is a very special day. Now, there's also an, another interesting uh, legend, we could say, that's attached to this day. And it comes from a popular folk tale that says that as the three wise men were on their way to find the baby Jesus, they stopped for a break and some hospitality at the home of a woman, and they invited her to join them on their adventure. Well, she said, oh, no, 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 I'm too busy. I have to clean my house. See, here's my broom and I'm just sweeping away. And so the three wise men carried on. Well, later she regretted it. Uh, she wished that she had gone along. So she jumped on that broom and flew around looking for them. So the story is that between the nights of the fifth and the sixth, La Befana, as she's called, visits little children throughout Italy and goes and places special little gifts in their stockings that are hanging over windows or a fireplace or whatever it may be. The kids will leave out panettone or pandoro cakes as a little refreshment for La Bafana. And if the kids are good, they'll get a nice little sweet. If they're not so good, they'll get a lump of coal. You know how that goes. Uh, I think these days they give little black rock candy. But nevertheless, uh, this is this will be celebrated uh, throughout the country today. And then schools and, and many businesses will not, uh, sorry, tomorrow is the, the feast. And then things will not open again until Monday as the Christmas celebration continues, Glenn. 
Well, I'd love to hear how Christmas is still as it ought to be uh, celebrated. And, and quickly before we go to uh, the world's largest Christmas tree is here is right here in italy can you believe it so that means that uh this is a tree that's about a half a mile in height it is a tree of lights it's actually an illuminated tree that is draped across of a mountain in umbrio so it's got a giant star on top that's about another half mile high and this is the 40th year that the the town of gubbio has been lighting up their giant christmas tree on the slopes of a mountain right above their city so there's about five and a half miles worth of cables that power all those lights this is even in the guinness book of world records since 1991. So a very special way to celebrate with over 700 lights. Each of the lights has been adopted by someone to remember, oh, maybe a newborn baby or or in memory of a, a departed loved one. It's lit each night at dusk, remembering, of course, Jesus, the true light of the world. And of course, the idea of evergreen, that he is everlasting, Glenn. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And along with it, some great music continues throughout the uh, throughout the holiday season as well. Yes, for sure. Yes, absolutely. We will host caroling parties and do lots of fun things over these next few weeks. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yes. you are in the spot to celebrate. Uh, my goodness, the latest from Rome with oh. Ashley Narona. Thanks so much, Ashley, for your report this week. Always look forward to that each and every Wednesday morning here on Morning Air and uh, hear pieces of that throughout the week as well and available in podcast form. We continue more with Morning Air right around the corner, our story corner for today. And a few thoughts setting that budget as we talked with Howard uh, earlier this hour was uh, difficult. How about a real challenge, Exodus 90? We'll talk about that coming up right around the corner as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Glennon for John as Morning Air continues here. Story Corner coming up in just a little bit and a good thorough look at St. John Newman coming up after the top of the hour with Father Marcel Tyone as Morning Air rolls on right here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. You're looking to really do something different, really crack down, not only physically but spiritually as well. Some new discipline perhaps for the, the coming year. Have we got a plan for you? You may have heard of this. Uh, some of our guests have uh, been involved in this in the past, and we're going to talk about it with our latest guest, Nathaniel Benversi, is with us this morning talking about Exodus 90. Exodus 90. Nathaniel, great to have you along this morning. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. I tell you, we've uh, we've had a few guests in the past be on this program uh, talk about uh, discipline. My goodness, uh, including Father Burke Masters, the the baseball priest who's the chaplain of the Chicago Cubs, uh, has been uh, doing this in the past. Uh, one of our past producers as well, Patrick Alog, has given it a shot. Uh, Exodus ninety. Give us a snapshot of of exactly what this is, and it's not just a, a random Bible study by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, absolutely. It's a far more immersive experience than most other uh, or, uh, programs, if you will, in the church. We don't consider ourselves that because it's more of a spiritual exercise. You can't just check into it every week at 7 o'clock, you know, on Thursday nights or something. 
It's a regimen of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, the spiritual exercise that men enter into. Together, as a fraternity, you find your small group of men, and there's a a list of disciplines for prayer, a list of disciplines for aesthetic disciplines, which is like acts of self-denial, and then there's a regimen, if you will, for your fraternal time as well. And you go through this experience, reading through the, the scriptures, through the book of Exodus, with daily reflections that keep you away from pride and keep you away from despair and continuing to go forward closer to our Lord through living this fullness of the Christian life, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. Really something else, and encourage folks to, to look it up there, exodus90.com. How did you get involved in this? And at first, were you maybe even a little scared? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really good question. So I had done Exodus 90 twice before I joined the organization. And it was started by a priest out in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He was a formator at a seminary, and he realized these, these seminarians, these guys who are supposed to be the holy guys, aren't actually free to hear God's will. Even though they're in seminary, they're not actually free from the things of this world. They're addicted to pornography or to video games or to watching sports or whatever, and they can't actually hear God's will for their lives. So they need to be detached. They need to have this time of purification in their life where they kind of purge themselves of the things of this world, detached from them through great discipline. Yes, with asceticism, but also with daily prayer life and fraternal accountability as well. And so he created this, this uh, spiritual exercise from there. Then it came to the layman, and then I got a chance after finishing up my master's and having a good friendship with James Baxter, who's the co-founder with the, that priest, to come and adapt this program for, for laymen. And I did that three years ago. And it's been a real gift to be here ever since working on this, as well as our 20 other spiritual exercises uh, that we have as well. Not to sound old, but I'm I'm getting there day by day more so. But uh, you know, people might say, "Well, this current generation is is kind of soft compared to the hard things that people have done through time." This is not easy when you take a look, especially at the uh, asceticism items that are part of this. Anything from starting the day with a, a cold shower to foregoing lots of the little necessities and easy things in life that we kind of take for granted. But is, is it kind of almost a paradox that? people can be inspired in this current culture we're in to be challenged by something like Exodus 90. Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for something easy, this is definitely not it, right? This is ex- this is extremely difficult. It's made to be too hard. It's made to have uh, such a list of ascetic disciplines that we actually fail. And why do I say that? So that we can be down on ourselves? No. So that we know ourselves as sons of God instead of sons of God instead of slaves. A slave at the end of Lent goes to God and says, look at the things I accomplished for you, God. I am, I'm getting holy. I should be more worthy of your love, which is just not the way we should be in relating to God, right? And so the men of this generation who are soft, especially people maybe who are millennials or a little bit younger fathers who see the, their own failures in the faces of their wife and children and are like, I want to change. I need to be better. They see this. They see the challenge of it. They enter into it because of that challenge. But what they realize is, this isn't something to white knuckle. They realize they will fail. And in that failure, especially with the guidance of the daily reflection, they realize, wow, God loves me. He's meeting me right here. He's asking more of me so that I come to him, so that he can be my father, so that I can grow in a relationship with him. That way, when things get hard in the family, when things get hard like financially or with marriage or whatever, I'm practiced at turning to the one who can help me, who can get me through that, and that's God himself. You know, we might look at that, that list uh, under asceticism and think, wow, that, uh, hmm, how do we do that? Well, a big part of how do we do that is how we keep doing that with a positive peer group we get through the fraternity portion of Exodus 90. 
Yeah, definitely. So every week you'll meet with a group of five to seven guys that you find in your area. So if you want to do Exodus 90, this is something you want to do. It starts January 17th is 90 days to Easter. You can do it any time, but January 17th is 90 days to Easter. If you want to do this, you are the leader. You're the protagonist. You're going to go out and find five to seven guys in your workplace, in your church, wherever, and you're going to invite them into this because they want freedom too. And they're willing to make sacrifices as well if you are there to encourage them and help them to know why. And so every week then you meet as a small group, and then one guy in that group of five to seven, you check in with him every single day. And this is our way of, again, avoiding pride and avoiding despair. Instead, imaging Christ and living out the unity that he was made in as Trinity that we get to participate in with our fraternity. Nathaniel Benversi is our guest talking about Exodus 90, a great program to think about getting into here that 90 days leading up to Easter. We'd start January 17th. You've got a little bit of time to, to look it over, to think about it, and to, to dive in. What are some of the stories, Nathaniel, uh, that you've heard from people that have gone through this that uh, might have kind of looked at it a little tentatively at first and, and come through and said, wow, that's just what I needed? Yes, certainly. Everybody is like, I don't know if I can do this. I, this seems like way too much on one end of the spectrum, like before day one, right? And then when they get to the end, they realize, oh, I couldn't do this. However, I am such a better man because I did it, because I did not quit, because I learned how to rely on the Lord. And some of the beautiful stories that I certainly hear from laymen or priests are the amount of freedom that they have received through this, that they didn't even know that they needed. They thought they were free. They didn't think they were attached to things this world until they had to give a bunch of stuff up. And 99% of men who have gone through Exodus 90, this is an independent research, over 1,000 people responded. 99% of men say they're more free after Exodus 90 than before. Now, the stories that I love most are the, the wives who write in. The wives who write in and say, thank you. This is a program for men, not for women. And yet the wives are writing in saying, thank you for giving me my husband back. Thank you for giving my children their father back. That's huge. That's so beautiful. Or the stories of priests who are like, I have wanted to live this priestly life. I've wanted to live a life of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, the Christian life, my entire priesthood, and I haven't been able to do it. I wasn't formed well enough, or I didn't have the fraternal group to do it with. And now I have. I've lost a bunch of weight, and I'm preaching like crazy. It's beautiful. I love those stories. And it's such a gift that the church and men just start living the Christian life a whole new way. Nathaniel, you mentioned the word freedom that I had uh, on my lips as the next question about that in terms of being able to deny ourselves. And we think and learn about this during Lent often a little bit, but if we can separate ourselves, right, from some of those automatic little easy things that might take over our lives, uh, those temptations that might be all about, we can really gain freedom if we, you know, deny ourselves just a little bit. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And we are so attached to the things of this world that we, we don't even know it. If you don't believe it, try taking a cold shower tomorrow morning or try not watching sports for the next week or try giving up sweets or whatever something is that you really enjoy. Try giving it up for just a week or even a day and realize how attached you are to these things or how you turn from one thing. Okay, I'll give that up, Nathaniel, no worries. But then you turn to something else instead of to God or instead of towards an offering on behalf of other people. And we're baptized priest, prophet, and king. We're supposed to be making sacrifices like the priest the common priesthood that we participate in as baptized members, are we doing that? Probably not. We're probably taking a hot shower and drinking our nice cup of coffee for ourselves instead of making an offering for others. And this exercise helps us to see that, to reorient ourselves, not to ourselves, but reorient ourselves to Jesus Christ 
and to be men for others. Nathaniel, the program aimed at men, Exodus 90, but uh, you mentioned how wives have been very appreciative of the transformation that's happened to that husband to be that leader in the household. It's not easy, and it can affect the rest of the family a little bit in terms of time commitment uh, or at least eating habits of <laughs> of dad if they're doing that. Uh, what are some things that we would need to kind of watch for to, to kind of fit this program into regular family life? Absolutely. Great question. We have an entire document called The Exodus Man and His Wife, and it helps walk the man through these are the things you need to share with your wife. Each man will have a written why. Why am I doing Exodus 90? And that written why could be something like, I am doing Exodus 90 so that I am more detached from my cell phone, that when I get home from work, I am home from work, present to my wife, and present to my children. You share that why, that why with your wife, and then tell her, hey, this is, what I, this is why I want to do this, and this is what every Wednesday and Friday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have two small meals and a large meal for the next 13 weeks. I'm going to have no meat on Wednesday and Friday. I know that sounds like I'm going to change your menu, honey, but I'm going to make those meals. I'm going to go to the grocery store and make sure we have the food that we need. Are you okay if I do this for the good of the family? What wife is going to say no to that? Your wife <laughs> wants you to be a holier man, right? But you've got to communicate with her because it will affect Excuse me. It will affect her, uh, no doubt about it. So good communication is, is going to be key. Well, Nathaniel, sorry I asked you a big question at the very end as we're out of time, but want to direct folks to Exodus90.com, the number 90, Exodus90.com. Nathaniel, uh, blessings on uh, your adventure through Exodus90 this year as well. Invite folks to check that out. And uh, thanks for joining us. Morning Air rolls on right now with a look at today's Story Corner. Like that TV show, our story today ripped from the headlines of the sports world just in the last week or so. Our story today called Hockey's Biggest Save. Last October, 22-year-old Nadia Popovici was attending the Seattle Kraken NHL game against the Vancouver Canucks in Seattle. Sitting behind the Canucks bench that day, she noticed an irregularly shaped mole on the back of a staffer, Brian Hamilton's neck, who was in the bench area. Popovici is going to medical school next year, said the mole caught her eye as Hamilton walked across the bench between periods. I spotted some of the classic signs, you know, irregular borders, a little bit of discoloration, and a pretty large diameter. She told CBC News, she said, I thought, you know, can't hurt to just say something. Hamilton was in the middle of moving equipment in between periods when he noticed Popovici pressing her phone against the plexiglass. The message on her phone was written in large font and expressed her concern about the mole. Though Hamilton says he initially brushed off the note, he later had a team doctor check it out and discovered it was a malignant melanoma that could have had life-threatening consequences if left untreated. During a news conference last weekend, he said she saved my life. She didn't take me out of a burning car like the big stories, but she took me out of a slow fire. Hamilton and the Canucks were determined to find Popovici, so they posted a letter on social media. It took about an hour to find her. Popovici attended Seattle's home game against the Canucks last Saturday and met Hamilton. The two shared a hug that was later broadcast on the Jumbotron. During the game, the Kraken and the Canucks announced the two teams would be giving $10,000 toward her medical school funding. Matthew 7.12 says, So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's our story corner this morning. More of Morning Air right around the corner here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.